0: Hi there, and welcome to the SaaS Reimagined Marketing Podcast. My name is Stephen Hoffmans, and I will be your host for today's session on artificial intelligence and ethics. During this podcast, we want to answer questions like what is ethical and unethical customer experience? Do we as consumers need to act to have better ethical AI? And how do you organize yourself from a company perspective to have ethical customer conversations? To do this, I have invited two experts in the domain of ethics and AI. The first guest I would like to introduce is Mieke de Ketelaar. Mieke is currently the program director AI at iMac and has specialized in robotics and artificial intelligence during her studies. Over the last 25 years, she has worked for several multinationals, including IBM, Microsoft, SAP, and SaaS on all aspects of data and analytics. She's a frequently asked speaker on the topics of digitalization, demystifying AI and data privacy, and recently released a new book, Wanted AI Translators. The second guest is a well-known person in the Belgium retail scene and probably sitting on one of the biggest data mines in Belgium, the shopping behavior of millions of Belgian citizens. Ruben Messine is the division manager of business analytics, intelligence and digital transformation at Colruyt Group. Colruyt is known and proud to be very active around ethical and sustainable business practices, And Ruben holds a master in history and business administration, helping different AI teams grow cross-department and making an impact on customer experience and society. Welcome to the both of you, and thanks for accepting my invitation to this uh, podcast. I'm super excited to have you both here today. Thank you, Steven. Thank you. So, let's start with my favorite part of the show your quote. You both have prepared a quote and uh, Ruben, I hope you don't mind, the courtesy tells me that ladies should go first. So Mika, absolutely. what is your quote and why did you choose it?
1: So my quote for today was that uh, digital privacy is like celebrity. So we should be able to decide ourselves when to use it uh, when we want something and then to turn it off when we don't want something. And I very much refer it to an attitude of a celebrity who decides when he or she wants to be seen in the external world and who gets angry when too much information is being given away for free about her or him. And so that's just like digital privacy to me.
0: Yeah, that's that's actually very interesting. I like the angle of the celebrity because today you also have paparazzi. So you don't always control what is being shared of your private life and what is being shared? So, so very interesting angle. Thanks for that. Ruben, what have you prepared for today?
2: I uh, also brought a quote. Artificial intelligence has a potential of democratizing big data, but it will be the most trustworthy organization that will prevail, not the most competent. I see today a lot of organizations struggle with uh, building up the craftsmanship around AI but I don't think in the in the long run that will make the difference. Uh, I really believe that it will be uh, the ones who, who keep the trust with their customers who do this in a nice way, this whole AI thing, looking at data, uh, using data, and then giving it back to the customers. Those are the organizations that will, will do good in, uh, in the long run. Absolutely.
0: So actually, it's also a call out to... Not the technique itself. Eh? You have you have people who are very very well driven in 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 building models and 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 being experts at that. But you're actually referring to. It, it makes me think of Mika's book as well. AI translators wanted that the people who are best in translating AI into meaningful value for for the consumer that actually they will prevail. They will win the business. Is it, does Absolutely. that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, um, you know, it's the fact is that it's more than data technology. It's the people and processes behind the whole thing, uh, all combined together that will make a, a successful company and will, you know, increase the adoption rate.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely also how we look at Coret Group uh, towards this AI. Will it will never uh, take over the role of a of a colleague of us. It will never do something a coworker is responsible of. It will help our coworkers and make sure that they they got extra information, they got extra insights on, on, on a certain situation on, on the the realities of our uh, of our customers. But it will never take uh, take over their responsibilities. That that stays with uh, with the people within our organization.
0: To rephrase it, there then it's it's like kind of a smart assistant that is helping you, guiding you, but actually the the decision is always taken by by a human, a person that that actually will then go for for the best offer or the best um, yep. solution at that yep. time.
2: Absolutely, yeah.
0: very 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 um interesting. A bit about your background, eh? um Mika. You have worked for a long time in artificial intelligence. What was your your first encounter with artificial intelligence and what were the challenges back then when it comes to artificial intelligence
1: yeah that's a, that's a very good question in fact uh, my first uh, encounter with artificial intelligence was in 1992 during my studies where i was uh, one of those uh, lazy students that uh, wanted to you know to automate everything in my life And so when I encountered the fact that artificial intelligence was basically a system that had the ability to learn by itself, to make decisions by itself, I was quite intrigued by the fact you could create systems that would give a forecast without doing many, many calculations yourself. And so my first encounter was uh, during my master thesis, where I was asked to create a system that was going to forecast the energy consumption of a certain region in Germany. And back then, I already realized that there was a direct link between uh, the, you know, the computer power that I had, the data that I had to my availability and the accuracy of the decision it was going to make. So it's something that sort of escalated uh, over the last 25 years that those that had access to bigger systems and bigger data sets actually also wanted level of accuracy. And um, so, yeah, so that was my first encounter. And that uh, was also, you know, the limitation that I saw back then.
0: So, the access to data and energy or, or or power will result in back then in competitive edge. How did that change today? Is it still the case, or or did it change um, these days?
1: Well, it's it it was still the case of the last uh, twenty you know twenty twenty five years uh, that uh, those that got access to you know bigger environments to do the many calculations that the AI needs basically uh, also had the opportunity to create models that were more accurate, which made them win certain competitions or, or um, you know, research uh, tracks, which gave them more money for, you know, true investors that gave them, again, a possibility to increase their investments in data and in, in systems. And sort of it became a circle that was going around and around and around because the focus was on accuracy of the systems, not on energy efficiency. And that's something we've seen changing over the last two three years that, we look behind the fact that our systems should just be accurate, they should be accurate, and they should be energy efficient. So and this is something we definitely see changing now the last two, three years.
0: No, especially with uh, the global warming, I, th- I think that's a very important topic. Thanks, uh, Mieke, for that insight. Ruben, to your background. In 2005, you graduated as a historian with a thesis on the student life in Leiden during the 17th century. Which actually is, a, for me, a very interesting background, looking at the fact that today you'd head up data analytics and digital transformation, two worlds that seem actually quite distant from each other. What, what spiked your interest for artificial intelligence?
2: Well, to be honest, I don't think that those worlds are so much far away from each other. If you look at like what we are doing as a, as a historian, you're looking at, at information from the past. You're looking at your sources, uh, checking them out, making sure they're reliable, and you're putting your conclusions down. In fact, uh, what AI does, it's it's also all about understanding, uh, understanding the context today. Uh, I think yeah, the world and society has gone a little bit more complex in the last past years, uh, and we'll head up to do so. So I think we really need technology. We really need solutions like AI to really understand our uh, our environment very well, our context very well. So it's also about looking at information, uh, making your conclusions, and and bringing in the insights to the the decision takers within uh, within core Group or any other organization. And that fact. So I think it's a it's a small step and to be. Very honest. It was not a choice for me to go and do this on AI. It was a, an opportunity within Colroid Group where I had the possibility to bring in some uh, some teams to create a, a new corporate department on uh, on information management within Colruyt Group. I think already five years ago, and that included, of course, also data science and everything around analytics. Yeah,
0: yeah, impressive. I think. Maybe for, for me, as an outsider, it it seemed distant. But but the way you explain it, you see that you base yourself on all data, and then you try to make conclusions. Actually, historians make a perfect sense um, to be drawn to the the business analysis and 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 the data world. And it's maybe a call out to historians to. Um, Join uh, the, AI, uh, the AI practice and and dig further it's into my, data.
2: No, I don't think it's my fault, but within BNE we have several historians working.
0: <laughs> <laughs> interesting, <Say something. laughs> interesting. I, I don't
2: think there's positive discrimination, but you never know. Of course,
0: <laughs> there, there, there's a, a high likely good a higher likelihood that you get accepted. So uh, if there are any uh, historians on the show, please try uh, Colred. cold. <laughs> I think um, there's a. Uh, A nice opportunity there. (laughs) Um, Taking us further down to the ethics part, eh, because the the show is about um, artificial intelligence and ethics. Mika, um, when when we think about um, artificial intelligence and the dangers that come with it, people often think about weaponizing artificial intelligence, which is indeed a known risk. But when we talk about ethics and AI, when it comes to serving citizens and customers, how do you define... What, what is ethical and what is not ethical, and and should we be vigilant as citizens for for artificial intelligence to towards consumers?
1: Well, I think first of all, adx adx by itself is a very broad domain, so you can tackle addicts uh, from from different sides. Um, you can take tackle it from uh, you know the fairness, the fairness that automated decisions are making. But who is going to define what's fair and what's not fair? Is that the person who creates the system? Is that the the business who wants to implement the decision, etc. So, I am requesting for that part to have like a multidisciplinary team that looks into it before, so prior to a system uh, gets created, to define altogether what's going to be a fair decision. You know, if it's from an HR perspective, or if it's from a decision that needs to be made on on who gets hired and who doesn't get hired. And we see that fairness has a contextual link. So wherever you live in in the world or even in the regions, even in Belgium, fairness can be defined in a different way. Let me give you a simple example. Um, If if we would look into a Google search and we would say we look for a CEO, typically in the past, there were only um, male pictures shown. You can say, okay, well because the data that was used to load the training for that system was mainly fed with images from male CEOs. So Google had to artificially change that. But then they had a choice to make. Either they say, well, we make it 30-70 because there's 30% female CEOs and 70% male CEOs. Or you can say, no, no, let's make it 50-50 because in the world there's 50% women, 50% men. So who who is then going to define what the system should spit out? Is thirty seventy fifty fifty, or of five ninety five? So these are these are very difficult things to, to tackle. And I think every company going into an AI systems where you're going to make a decision on a human, so not on an industrial environment, you have to do this by design. Which means at the time you're going to define the system, you're going to have to define that you know the, the fairness part. That's A difficult one, but then ethics has much a broader field as well. You know, it's about you know the unconscious bias that might be in your system. So, let's say that if we would take the CVs from Colgate, I understand now if you have historian, uh, hist- <laughs> you know, if you have studied history, there might be unconscious bias in, in the systems to make sure that the historians get a more you know quicker access to getting a job at Color. No, I'm just joking, yeah, <laughs>
2: but I, I, fact, was, I was also, <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, but that, that, that's how it works. You know, it takes data from the past in order order to make predictions towards the future. So getting out um unconscious bias that's in the systems and that can be also as well it's not always on on, uh on gender because people think well if we don't take the gender part we we are fine but that's not what it is. For example, even email address can say something about your age. If I have an email address that ends with Google, that may say something about the fact that I'm between, you know, twenty and and fifty years old, whereas my parents will never have a Google email address. So it's it's not that transparent as people think it is. It's not that easy as just taking out a couple of variables in order to make sure that you have no conscious bias in your system. So these are all points that needs to be tackled. So ethics is a very broad domain.
0: So, so I think the, f- the first thing I, I take away for, from your answer is that by definition, data is almost biased because of the way it's been generated, Right. And what you're saying is when you are starting to work with data and towards humans and taking decisions that somehow there needs to be a human touch in there that enters maybe a kind of ethical or moral compass, like uh, the example you gave saying, maybe we should f- do 50-50 for CEOs while naturally grown because of society. It has been different in the past. So um, does that mean that we ha- we should have rules or, or some somehow society defining what are moral guidelines to take into account when you're developing artificial intelligence? Or, or how do you see that in practice?
1: But but it's uh, it's contextually different. Huh? So something that can be um, you know very well accepted here in Belgium might be completely different in India. Mm-hmm. So and and there there is the question. So if you have your systems developed in India or in Poland or or overseas, who is going to define that? So this transparency um, needs to be happening much earlier in the system, and that's not done yet.
2: Mm-hmm. It's it's about being aware, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, about the, the context and the the, the the it's not about rules, it's it's what is in implied underneath and, and what is the, the context that is, is creating around it. With uh, with the VUB we're doing projects with our data science team to look at the usage of data and which kind of data you should use for a specific solution on, on creating as, as less bias as possible and if you're creating any, then be very aware of it and, and make sure that it doesn't steer too much towards a, a specific specific solution. Absolutely.
0: Okay, that that makes sense. So bias is something very important. But when I when I look at personalization, and the cases that have happened, I always have one one known story is the target story. eh? There's a, a rumor saying that one day, a dad called up the target store or the target marketing organization, saying he received baby promotions, but actually nobody's pregnant in his house. And a couple of days later, it turned out that um, his daughter was pregnant. And, you know, while, while you can say it's inappropriate, the models were very effective and started having those kind of promotions. Ruben, from an artificial intelligence manager's point of view, uh, did you experience any ethical artificial intelligence issues um, when solving or handling requests from uh, your business partners? And how do you make sure that everything remains ethical? At Colred.
2: yeah, but I think it's very important that you you know what is the, the the level of craftsmanship and the level of maturity you have as an organization around AI. This is something new. This is something where, where biases get in. So if you're not aware of your your maturity level, you're doing things that are on the on the edge. For Coleridge Group, we're we're really uh, experimenting with with these uh, these opportunities, and so we're we're doing uh, some nice pilots but those are pilots that not in, in the range of creating problems like uh, like these these are mostly the, the pilots we do look at uh, optimizing our uh, internal processes helping our uh, co-workers that they they can spend more time in interaction with with the customers for example and so on so uh, i really think this is a, an example that that speaks for itself but uh, if you're not totally aware of of where you are are about with uh, with artificial intelligence in your organization and it shouldn't try to do problems like uh, like this
0: very i think very clear what i what i see is that you actually using experimentation in a first phase to see what is what is possible and yeah, then um, first focus on your improving your internal operations which is actually a way to get to know what the possibilities are for artificial intelligence and then you move on and once you're familiar with the topic um you move on to more complex issues i think that's um that's actually a very nice tip for the audience uh, and on how to grow your your artificial intelligence capabilities in an ethical and way. you can
2: already you can already create some impact for your customers uh, for example um uh we did uh, we did a test in one of the shops where with a camera, we can determine which kind of fruit or vegetable somebody is bringing to the checkout register. By doing this and allowing the, the AI algorithm to recognize the products, the person who is at the, at the checkout hasn't know the code uh, by head and, and giving it into the system, but the, the, the algorithm sees this is a tomato, this is a banana, this is a... Uh, uh, whatever. This gives the coworker the opportunity to really go into interaction with with the customer and you create an impact with our customers, with somebody who, who has time to communicate a little bit to you, to be friendly and, and so on. What we think as call group is, is very important to go into a good connection with our, uh, our customers. And you create these kind of possibilities by bringing these innovations into that well-known checkout process. So you really can do something with an impact on the customer, with focus on, on AI and, and and innovations, but without creating too much troubles. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I, I like that perspective because it's it's not only about how do you serve the customer in their shopping journey, but it's also about how can you Put a smile on the customer face by doing small things and making time for him, so you can interact for him. So that takes a whole different lens than when you're just looking at interaction points and and trying to improve that customer experience. But here you're you're really going with what by using artificial intelligence, freeing up time to get to that customer delight. I really like Absolutely. that 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 lens that you're taking there. If we if we go back to the organization of the society, Mika and how consumers can be protected from unethical artificial intelligence. I saw in your book, um, you were talking about Oath of Hippocrates, and you have uh, notaries and you have, in this case, doctors that need to lay down a note that they will respect the, the patient and do good. Do we need something similar to protect us from bad artificial intelligence?
1: Yeah, I think the responsibility should be with all people involved in AI. Yeah? So of course the oath is, is one that I propose to to bring in to the engineers. But I wouldn't say that it's only the engineers that need to take responsibilities in order to be complete. But indeed, so engineers get all excited or data scientists get all excited to use technology to do something innovative. But they sometimes lack the complete picture of how it will land in the complex processes we have in our world. And so that's where bringing ethics into the courses at university Or having to sign an oath to understand the impact they can have with the solutions they're building, that's absolutely something important to to highlight. However, when we look at the word fate, which is always linked to uh, ethics, um, I explain the fairness and the accountability, but it's also about bringing in the transparency and the explainability. And so in the oath, what should also be there is that if you create a system that makes an automated decision, you should have the ability to make sure that as far as you can go with these systems, to make them explainable and transparent. So I believe that by creating systems like these, it will increase the adoption ratio. And it will also recreate a trust that's sometimes lacking right now. You know, citizens or customers or even business sometimes don't trust the systems because they aren't explainable enough. And so in this oath, uh, next to the responsibility you take, it should also highlight the fact that as far as you can go, make sure that you, you make systems that are transparent and explainable, you know, in order to reinstall the trust that's very hard needed right now.
0: So next to fairness, uh, transparency is very, very important. Uh, Ruben, Coreit being a, a company that that really finds doing ethical business practices very important, how do you develop like an inner compass to guide you to and your teams to to giving transparent and fair AI to the the different consumers? Is is there a kind of self-assessment they need to do, or or how do you organize that to make sure that the values are in there?
2: I can see the the focus on on ethics around around AI, but to be to be clear, this is not something new for Corred Group and. Uh, AI activities are activities such as we have any others within the organization. And everything we do is based on the culture and the values and the identity we have as a, as a corporate group. So it's not because, oh, here comes AI. Now we need an ethical framework. No, we have our frame. We have our values such as simplicity, uh, respect, uh, togetherness, readiness to serve, and, and so on. And those are, stay and will be uh, the guidelines for all our colleagues to handle the activities they approach within uh, within corporate group and this of course this also stands for the data scientists who are uh, building up the models and doing ai but it's not something uh, it's not something new i think it's uh, it's it's very important as a, as an organization that you really make sure that those fundamentals are are created well are, are into place and you can translate those kind of values towards uh, frameworks on on, on the rules and how to handle things. but but it's important that the, the framework is shared and that's already a, a very big step I believe.
0: So so what you're saying is it needs to be embedded in the culture in, in the company culture and it, when it's embedded in the company culture, you don't it's not because there's a new kid on the block. Uh, being the combination of ethics and artificial intelligence that you should that you should panic as a artificial intelligence manager normally those things are covered from a corporate culture it should be in your values and you should translate it to the practices you're doing but if you have that covered normally that that should be fine for an organization is that correct
2: yeah, I believe so. If you have these strong fundaments as, as we have, we're really a very culture aware organization and we put a lot of effort in our values and making sure that everybody knows them. Everybody follows them. Everybody is, 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 is uh, has the opportunity to, to really, uh, learn what they stand for and, and how they can be applied. Absolutely. If that fundament is there, it's okay.
1: And I really like that statement that it should be in culture from right from the start. End, because you see too many companies that now are creating around AI ethical codes and ethical, you know, committees. And that's just a tick in the box. You really feel yeah. that it's just to have something in case they get a question from the press. But, uh, you know, like Colrit and Ruben uh, are doing it, uh, it's absolutely great. Should be an example for many out there that you just put it into the basic culture of a company.
0: Yeah, I saw even one interesting thing I saw was the self-assessment of the European uh, institution around trustworthy artificial intelligence. And for me, it was, I know Europe is busy on it, but they're also working on frameworks and they're, they're working on those practices. But actually, if you have it governed at the right level in your company, there shouldn't be any involvement or, or, or any further steering from Europe. Is that the way I can understand this as well, that um, the self-assessments of Europe, they're interesting, but actually every company should should find out themselves what is ideal for their customer? Yes or no?
2: I really think this 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 can help such a such an assessment from from the from the EU uh, it's like a, a checkbox you can you can bring it over look at uh, your activities and what you are doing and making sure that all the things that are out there are also taken into account within uh, the activities you have as an organization but once again when the fundament is right it just it's just a reference check afterwards, then it is something that should be implied. Okay. Uh, yeah.
1: Okay. I think it's a bit more complex than that. I mean, our AI is now bigger than medicine. At the moment, you can't be an AI expert. There's so many flavors to AI. There's so many sectors involved in AI. Um, and and I think that uh, Europe is doing a fantastic job in, in making the first steps towards that um, ethical framework. However, what I see, and, and we also analyzed it in a questionnaire towards companies, is that the translation on how to do it, so it, it gives a good answer to what needs to be done, but not how to. Mm. I think um, we, we can need the next years to, to translate into how to, because on whatever AI you're going to use, if it's an image recognition, voice recognition, whatever, there are different technologies behind it to make it transparent. You can't expect a company that starts with AI to know all these techniques so we are currently helping um, companies, you know, through a structured approach and methodology, to find the right techniques for the AI solutions they are, they're implementing. And so that's where I think we we still need to work and collaborate from an engineering point of view together with Europe, to put that framework into a workable uh, methodology.
0: Okay, so Mika, continuing on that point, my last question is: is how how should companies then prepare for for what's coming for the future when when you think about? We need to still um do business in twenty thirty with um, the setting we have. What should they what what should they prepare for? What is your best tip you can give them to the audience?
1: Well, I think what it is, is you see they're jumping too much still on the hype. You know, we're sort of walking through Disneyland, getting inspired by use cases we see in the press, et cetera, uh, not knowing what's happening behind the scenes. So I think um, if there would be basic knowledge uh, at all levels within the company of what AI is and what it's not, and based on that knowledge, create a multidisciplinary team around it and have the discussions on you know, what they're going to develop uh, by design. So that's ethics by design, that's uh, security by design, that's customer experience by design, et cetera. I think if this would be in place, I think the solution that would, will be out, there will be less intrusive and uh, will be less dangerous uh, as that what we see right now. Uh, so it's bringing everything back to the design phase on the table and then talking in a multidisciplinary approach about it. I think that's what's needed.
0: Okay. Interesting. I would like to really thank you for this very interesting uh, discussion. Uh, my key takeaways for me are fairness. It was one of the key words that was mentioned a lot in this conversation. Transparency towards your customers and, and transparency on, on data. And then uh, multidisciplinary teams that can help set the right boundaries around ethics. Um, I think that's also very interesting. I would like to thank you again. And um, on this bombshell, I wish you all a pleasant day.
2: You're very welcome.
1: Thank Bye-bye. you, Stephen. Thank you, Ruben. You're right. Bye.